Hello, I'm Anthony Senna. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 30, Stimulation Addiction, Consciousness, and Sensory Deprivation. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio. This is episode 30 and hello if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, Dr. Michael Smith and I sit down every so often and we talk about health, lifestyle and mindset things and today's topic is something that um, I'm not really sure where it's going to go because this is completely new to me and I'm sure it's going to be new to you as well. Uh, Michael, how are you? I'm really well yourself. I'm doing well. Michael, tell people a little bit about who you are and what do you know? Uh, so I practice integrative medicine. I do that by combining the wisdom and, uh, vast experience of traditional Chinese medicine with, uh, functional medicine and what we now call evolutionary nutrition. And, uh, this podcast is dedicated to, uh, things that, uh, you see are in the health arena, if I can say that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the state of being that people have or don't have in the sense of sort of free will and adaptability is probably the most crucial aspect to breaking free of, say, addiction or um, developing a new toolbox for stuff like PTSD or even just for chronic pain. Right. So uh, this is probably a little bit more advanced of a podcast for, I guess, the average uh, health seeker. And today's topic, I think, might be a little bit more uh, obscure and, and uh maybe left field than what I'm familiar with, with what we've talked about before. Uh, sensory deprivation is something that I've uh, heard about, but not really uh, overly familiar with. So why don't you explain a little bit about what we're up to today? Uh, well, sensory deprivation as a, as a practice, kind of like meditation or going to the gym, it's something you kind of have to commit to. Um, it does take some getting used to. Uh, at present, the most common way people do this basically is to get into a giant uh, oversized bathtub full of water, that's also full of Epsom salts. Uh, I think the average would be 1,500 pounds of Epsom salts per sensory deprivation tank. And it would probably be the equivalent uh, water of about three of your regular sort of, you know, uh, domestic bathtubs. And when you put that much Epsom salts into the water, it makes the water very uh, thick, basically, so that you're about 30% more buoyant. So if you were to lie in a swimming pool or in a lake or something like that, and you can float, you know, you're... You're, you're barely going to be able to stay uh, with your breathing apparatus <laughs> in your face <laughs> uh, above the water. Whereas when you're that much more buoyant, you can, you're, you're literally sort of partially on the water instead of in it. So you can relax completely uh, and your head usually won't, you know, loll backwards to the point where you get into your eyes or your, your nose or mouth. Um, most, most places that have SD tanks have like a little donut-y, floaty ring you can put at basically the base of your head. So that when you first get in and lie back, you can have some support for your head because it is kind of counterintuitive to just lie in a pool of water and, <laughs> and float and actually just fall backwards into the into the water. Right. So uh, let me get this clear. This uh, this uh, salt filled uh, water filled bathtub thing, um, the picture that comes to mind from the way that I understood it before, never having seen one is kind of like um uh, a tanning bed where you sort of lay down in it and there's kind of like a lid on it or something. Is that true? Uh, there's ones that are like that. I mean, there's so many different designs out there now. It's, I mean. But it's, is it's, it this capsule kind of thing that you lay in? or is yeah, it, it, yeah, there are ones like that. The one that I uh, was in yesterday, it's the size of about, a, I don't know, 
the back end of a minivan. Okay. So when you crawl in there, you can basically be spread eagled and you have lots of room. And eventually you are going to bump into the wall because there is a very mild circulating current to keep the, the temperature of the water juice right. But um, typically you're going to be in some kind of environment where there's no sound and there's no light. And you're floating in very, very buoyant water. And the water is actually um, exactly at the temperature, or the average temperature of the surface temperature of human skin. So the result would be that you don't even feel like you're in anything? So, yeah, basically you have no sense of where your body begins and ends. So, I mean, the reason why I wanted to talk about sensory deprivation in this episode was because we talked about neurosomatic therapy for the last two episodes that has all to do with muscle memory and uh, how the body holds trauma. And I think a word we brought up in either of those episodes, and if not, I'm going to bring it up again (laughs) or for the first time, uh, it's called proprioception. Right. And that's basically kind of like the internet of your nerves and muscles and bones and how they talk to each other. So when you're in a sensory deprivation tank, you have basically zero, zero proprioceptive uh, feedback or um, information. Because your body, and this is like one of the coolest, weirdest things, your body basically about every 15 to 20 seconds does these micro rotations in your limbs. Right, either counterclockwise or clockwise, right? Hands and feet as a way of just proprioceptively checking in with where you are in space. So your body's in a way constantly doing Tai Chi, these little micro rotations just to know where it is in space. When you're lying in a sensory deprivation tank, there's no way for any of those micro movements uh, to satisfy the body's need to know where it is. So I'm lying in this water and I can't tell where I am. Uh-huh. And I'm reaching for the panic button. <laughs> that's, that's usually the first 10 minutes, yep. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, so, so I'm sorry, but that actually sounds kind of stressful in some way. Uh, yeah, so if you go over to the original research back in the 50s when they were doing this, it was actually based on um, the effects of sensory deprivation as a form of torture, which, you know, as you mentioned, when you first heard the description, you're like, oh, well, that does not sound like a fun thing to do. Um, because it does make people quite crazy if you're not going into the experience with a sense of um, consciousness, a sense of I'm going to go in here and unravel a bunch of uh, state-specific kind of habits of memory and body position and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think if you're going in there as the victim of some people in... I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking of uniforms with ridiculous num- numbers of little badges and pins or something. And they march you in there and they throw you in the thing. I think that would set up a pretty negative association with what's going to happen next. Probably. Is you pay some guy 60 bucks and with a, you know, Grateful Dead t-shirt. And he's like, you're going to have a great time, man. <laughs> so you get this <laughs> different feel, you know. <laughs> Crawl into it and you're... <laughs> so dude, my mind is just racing still with this idea of actually um, being in this whole tank. But... Mm-hmm. I mean, we're trying to describe what it is, but I guess I need to know, personally, myself, I need to know why I would actually want to do this because I'm already panicking and I haven't even gone into the thing. So what's the value of a sensory deprivation tank and why would I even want to do something like that? So again, we go to proprioception and you spend, say, between 45 minutes, 90 minutes lying, floating in space with no way to refer to uh, the way your mind remembers your body. Right. You're, you're like an infant without gravity. You're just like, wah. Okay. So for the first 10 minutes, your body is kind of like a baby that isn't really wanting to go down to sleep. 
you know, you're fidgeting, you're constantly like, oh, I can, well, my breath is really loud, or I think I can hear my heart, like, going through my carotid, with the blood going through my carotid artery, I mean, maybe it's, it's too narrow, I'm probably going to, oh, it's a heart attack, because your mind is looking for some reference, and usually the mind being the mind, it's expecting to find something that's going to give you permission to run out of there. Right. Because there's got to be something wrong, right? Well, that's kind of what the mind does, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So... <laughs> Uh, after that first 10 minutes of, look, buddy, there's nothing wrong. You're here to, to unravel some, some tension or just, uh, bliss out. And, um, and so you'll basically lie there. And after the about 20 minutes, and we've mentioned this a couple of times on the show, that when human beings basically lie horizontal in a comfortable place, most of your fight or flight, uh, blood circulation goes from your muscles back into your belly. Mm-hmm. Right. So when that 20 minutes goes by, as far as your mammal physiology or your primate physiology is concerned, you're in a very content place, right? Because you're now in a rest digest state. Now, when you go from a relative fight or flight state to a relative rest digest state, um, you're basically shifting in, in a way like transitions out of your car. You're shifting the entire mindset of your mind. The mindset of your mind. So the way that your mind normally sounds, well, yeah, all of a sudden becomes a different song? Well, the first 10 minutes, what the hell's wrong? Right. After 20 minutes, wow, I had no idea that I could feel like no sense of anything. And uh, the mind kind of pings back and forth between kind of weird uh, claustrophobic panic to weird agoraphobic panic to eventually dude, you're not going to die. <laughs> Just <laughs> relax. And things start to go through this. And I think the rhythm is different for everybody, but I would say the rhythm is pretty consistent where you go into these weird hypnagogic states, which are like half asleep, half awake uh, dream states where you start seeing things, which is kind of like daydreaming and stuff. Although I would say the things you're seeing are going to be relatively more potent because they're coming up as your body unwinds tension that had, has had no opportunity to unwind in that way before. I mean, unless you spend a lot of time in outer space, you're you're not going to get that opportunity. So, uh, hmm, where do I start with this? If I'm lying there and um, all of a sudden the mind, which is usually the thing that tries to keep me safe, like the, the sort of reptile brain, whatever it is that actually drives me around every day and makes sure that I look both ways before I cross the street, if all of a sudden that thing shuts up and then I'm left with just myself you're saying that um home movies are going to start playing uh-huh and those movies I'm, I'm trying to use words so that I can see this in my mind's eye those movies that I'm seeing are the kind of things that um either ones that I haven't seen before or ones that I saw that I forgot and stuffed in a box and tried to forget or I mean is this is it is I this is going to sound stupid because this is a health-related podcast, but is this actually healthy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, man, it's totally dangerous. Like I'm trying to you know, mess with people. <laughs> April fools. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's the healthiest thing you could possibly spend your money on. Hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So with respect to your question, and I am trying to be very careful about how I communicate this because it's so weird to talk about because it's not a talky experience, right? Okay. <laughs> 
if I'm in my typical associative imagination, right? So it's money, girls, time pressure. I like to do a lot of research and writing. So my thoughts typically go to where am I going to find information or that, or what's a really great metaphor to explain this? Cause that's what the inside of my head's like. Sorry if that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just sleeping. What were you saying? <laughs> no, I can't remember. <laughs> So that's to say the typical uh, TV show that I have on the inside of my head. So now I'm lying in this, you know, very, very unique somatic experience. And my body's deconditioning a whole bunch of stuff that just has to do with posture and gravity. So now that I relax deeper into myself and through the sort of status that holds that body memory in me, like if I'm always, you know, braced up about... Um, I don't know if I've got Kato living in my house and he's going to attack me to keep my Kung Fu skills up. I'm going to be kind of a twitchy guy, right? Right. Just as an example. So here I am in the least twitchy environment imaginable and I'm relaxing into it layer by layer. Like we talked about those layers in neurosomatic therapy last time we talked. Um, the images and the movies that come up are profoundly symbolic to what it means to you as a conscious being to let that stuff go. And, and so is there a, um, a thing that's a medical term. Is there a thing? Is, is, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> doctor, doctor, he's got the thing. Um, is, is there some sort of, uh, thing within, uh, my reptile brain that says, um, uh, given the chance to be totally zoned out in this somatic state, that um, I'm going to take care of these things that you've been hanging on to. Like, is that, is, that, is that actually part of our sort of makeup or is that just the result of what happens? Um, <laughs> so this is going to sound like a really weird direction, but it's kind of like intimacy. Hmm. So if you're having sexual intimacy with someone, um, there's the rough and tumble part of the experience, which is pretty popular. Hmm. Um, then there's the opportunity to receive, right? Yeah. And that kind of bounces back and forth. And I would say in a reasonably effective social experience, sexual experience. Um, so when you actually decide to slow down the, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to allow you to do that to me, mm -hmm. um, we hit a kind of vulnerability and also an intimacy to allow ourselves to go deeper into say pleasure or connection and things like that. So here you are again in this, you know, dark, you know, soundproof thing with weird ear things, uh, earplugs in your ears just to make sure you're not going to get distracted. And again, you're unraveling, uh, on the level of just tissue and memory, a whole bunch of stuff that is unconscious to you and maybe years and years and years old. And again, as you're relaxing through that, the, you could say the confidence and the intimacy of that shifting memory of who you really are gives you permission to actually see yourself in new ways because you finally put on your big boy pants and decided to relax through a bunch of nervous stuff that you've been carrying around because you haven't had the time to stop. Hmm. I mean, that might sound a bit judgmental and aggressive and I mean it to kind of like get people's back up a little bit because that's one of our biggest issues is that we're, uh, it's, it's just that we're so constantly overwhelmed. I mean, that's why I kind of called the podcast stimulation addiction consciousness and sensory deprivation because most of us are in such a profoundly overwhelming uh, state of stimulation overwhelm i mm -hmm. mean you I mean i don't know about you but i mean 
we're all being led around but by between, little small leashes that you know, say Facebook at the other end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I want to get into that in more detail in a bit, but I think it's just to give the the listeners a chance to go right. This this is something if you were to invest in that as as an opportunity, it's like taking your meditation practice and including God, whatever that means, hmm. right? In the sense that you're now going to move into a kind of intimacy where there's a process of release that is. Um, I don't know, it's like getting on a conveyor belt. You know, you get in, you, you move through a process and things change. So if you're a person who practices yoga or qigong or, you know, you're a meditator, I would say, especially even if you're an athlete or something like that, where your relationship with your body is pretty sacred. Um, when you move into this kind of an opportunity, you're not doing it um, in a passive way. It seems like it's a very passive thing to do. I'm going to go, I mean, it actually, it seems like the most passive thing you could do. And I think it's kind of like yin and yang. If you keep going into the yin, eventually you're going to pop out the other side as yang. Because when you go into the most passive thing you can do, lying in this, you know, really, really thick water, you now get the chance to be the most actively attentive to what happens to you as you relax through stuff. I mean... Mm-hmm. I think the whole mind-body thing maybe just needs needs to be brought back into the conversation because, you know, your mind is basically, in the sense of language, a grocery list with a calculator. <laughs> yeah. And then you move into the right brain, and now you're in this highly associative, imaginatory, you know, connection-driven, you know, part of the mind. And then you go, oh, yeah, and don't forget, 80% of what's going on is actually registering into your mind through your body. So when your mind-body practice says, okay, let's see what happens to the mind when the body is given a profoundly new, uh, you know, list of ingredients to, to go and, you know, cook with or whatever, you're going to get new experiences. But what's more important about that is your mind is going to communicate to you how potent the meaning of that change is. Hmm. Let's get back to the idea that they have the actual physical experience. Yep. So, um... And I, and I say that because, again, my sort of um, reptile brain is kind of driving my questions here. Because all of what you're saying, if, I, if I'm going to that depth or that sort of uh, level of introspection with uh, stuff, you know, I'm doing air quotes around stuff, that comes up, um, is there some sort of um, guidance for doing that is it okay to be doing that on my own is if i'm going into a sensory deprivation tank and i'm saying okay i'm going to lie here for an hour and a half and stuff comes up and you know like am i going to come out wanting to wear a straight jacket and go into a rubber room after this or am i actually going to be a better person <coughs> or is that even fair to say that like like, like i'm concerned that the, that the experience would be so powerful and so overwhelming to me um that uh i'd be worse for doing it uh, I think that's possible, but again, most people that are involved in like a regular use of an SD tank or you know other things that are similar, uh, it's always going to be about your intention, right? Because it's not passive. If we go into these things passively, um, uh, well, you'll get that experience. You're just either being bored and physically uncomfortable and um, it's because you don't trust the intimacy of the the physical encounter you're having with uh, a shift in uh, proprioception or spatial kind of uh, awareness. I mean, the the whole world changes when you're no longer a scared monkey, Hmm. right? But you have to start being a scared monkey and unraveling that as your body softens into this 
a very, very different uh, place. Um, and again, you know, another image that comes to mind is uh, when you're swathing a baby. When you're wrapping them up really tightly. Yeah, you so, so you wrap them up and they get all snuggled up and they really like that. Actually, in First Nations traditions for the first two years, children are always put up on a cradle board so that they learn deference and how to be quiet in the bush because back in the day, you know, noisy kids could get everybody killed and all this other stuff. There's a sense of being cared for and cared about. It's this very deep instinct in children when you are wrapped up or you're being snuggled or you're cuddling. If you leave a kid uh, flailing their arms around, you know, that's actually, can, they call it flapping. It's a thing that babies do when they're actually experiencing an internal kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a reflex to try and control your environment or at least to assess it. So when you're in a situation where that's no longer possible, obviously most people doing sensory deprivation are going to be adults. Just like the infant getting all swaddled up in a cradle board, you're giving you're given a kind of control uh, or or a sense of containment, right? So even although you're in the opposite of that experience in a sensory deprivation tank, because there is no cradle board, there is there's, I mean, you, you could keep looking for stuff, you're never going to feel it. It kind of mirrors the same experience, but more potently for adults, because now I'm swathing myself in something that's invisible, mm-hmm. uh, but that lures me into uh, an exploration that's very deeply internal. And, and like I said, there's a rhythm to it where your your body kind of, and you ask me, like, what's the physical experience like? So when you're lying in the the water and you're thinking, you know, you're not really feeling your body the way that you normally would be. So eventually you're going to stop thinking because your your body just blanks out. And it actually starts to feel like, and this is the weirdest part, it feels like you're, uh, and this is where you kind of wake back up into the moment, it feels like you're lying in concrete. Right, because you're so relaxed that the idea of making any movement actually just seems futile. So the body reads that the whole idea of moving is impossible. So you're lying there, you're like, "Oh my god, I feel like I'm buried in concrete. What the hell? I mean, this would be the worst, you know?" Because I, I, I must have just fallen asleep because I'm coming back into the moment, feeling a very different sense of the body. And then you, you know, you rotate your wrists or you bend your knee or something like that, and you're like, "Oh yeah," I'm to-. and it's like this weird. Um the perception of the temperature of the water suddenly changes. It just suddenly feels like, oh yeah, wow, it's kind of weirdly cold in here. And then a few seconds go by and then you go back into that kind of, oh no, I'm totally fine. I'm just floating in this weird smelly thick water that's, well, it doesn't smell bad. It's just... Okay, so we're we're coming back to the mics. We just had a little technical issue and uh, one of the wires was making a funny noise. So Anthony uh, decided to wrap it up with an elastic band and I just got over a laughing fit because that's exactly what we're talking about in a way. Because <laughs> what we reflexively want is control, right? So if your body's doing something weird and you can wrap it up in an elastic, at least you did your thing, damn it, and it's on my terms. When you're in an SD tank... <laughs> It's the opposite because, and this is the hardest thing to say, but your ability to control the situation is based on your ability to lose control. Because as long as you're committed to losing control, you're in control. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're trying to gain control, there's no control to be had. Well, your your basic, you know, the millions of years of instinctual reflexes you have are not relevant. Right. So you're stuck with a body that's, you know, got millions of years of proprioceptive reflexes to control whether or not you're eaten by a large cat and all you can do right now is keep dropping deeper into the experience because that's the only chance you've got. Otherwise, you're just going to lie there and being fidgety and bored and it's almost impossible 
uh, after that first 20 minutes to feel fidgety because your body has shifted from fight or flight to rest, digest, right? And again, that's the thing that's super important because we all know about those two, sympathetic, parasympathetic. But I think I would call it the psychosomatic uh, something, something, the third level of your um, metabolism. Um because you're dropping into a very similar experience that you'd be having on something like peyote or magic mushrooms or a really deep cannabis uh, high or something like that, because you're in a profoundly associative place. I mean, you want to hit your right brain, go to an SD tank. Because hmm. your left brain eventually just kind of just, you know, it's running around with wrenches everywhere inside of your mind saying, I can fix it, I can control it, just give me a minute. And it's like, I'm thinking like a Star Trek, you know. <laughs> I'm not a magician, Captain. I can only do so much. And eventually it just throws down the wrenches and says, screw it. Like, whatever you guys are doing, I can't do anything with this. And the right brain shows up and says, all right, because, you know, maybe you're getting song lyrics from when you were a child coming into your, into your mind or your favorite, I mean, the song that associates the best memories you have around, I don't know, sex or uh, or something. And eventually the, the mind stops producing... Um, stuff that feels like memories and then you start having stuff that comes up that are just really weird you know uh, hallucinatory vignettes that just suggest you know yes yes this is absolutely a very important thing for you to be in the autonomy of your physical body without pain without drama uh, without gravity <laughs> uh, and things like that and you know it, it just all I can say is, you know, you're going to go into a situation in which you have no uh, skill set or tools or wrenches to to be able to navigate it. You have to give in. So if I'm in if I'm in this um, sensory deprived state and uh, stuff comes up, um, is 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 my capacity to um, uh, to see it, to understand it, to, um, for lack of a better word, fix or deal with it. Uh, um, is that, um, bolstered because I'm no longer surrounded by whatever it is my physical body, um, normally does. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm just catching what it is that's not being communicated. Because what what I'm hearing you say, and I'm sorry if that sounds like the hippie thing to say, but what I'm hearing you say, Anthony. <laughs> man. man. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so, and if, I get, if I'm getting this wrong, I apologize, but I don't think that I am. Um, what I'm hearing you say is that the linear process of you dealing with thought and feeling, um, that process isn't going to be inevitably accelerated by the sensory deprivation experience, which I would say is an, in a way true. The thing that doesn't need to happen is for your right brain to process that process, right? So maybe an aversion to, well, can I handle a bunch of this stuff if it comes up? The part of you that handles it has already thrown the tools on the floor and has said, Captain, I can't do anything with this stuff. It's not my job. Because hmm. the processing mind, of course, has an aversion to being given way, way more work than you already have, right? I mean, this is the danger. If I do ayahuasca and all my stuff comes up, will I be able to handle it? Well, it wouldn't come up if you couldn't, right? But again, that's still the left brain saying, okay, how much work am I going to commit to doing if you guys make me do this? And I mean, it's scary, but I think it's going to help me, but it could make me feel worse about myself. Hmm. But that's your left brain chewing on your left brain. 
When your left brain finally gives up and your right brain says, hold on, I'm just going to give you a little symbolic shiver about how happy uh, that part of your, your whole self is at finally be, being given a chance to show you that you're absolutely impeccably amazing. Hmm. Even with your warts and your boo-boos and your limp and your, you know, whatever addiction you happen to be chewing on right now, you can still experience yourself the way an infant would experience itself waking up anew every two hours, the way babies do. They're like, oh, well, I'm back. And then they, they go to wherever the babies go and then they come back and they're all like completely present and free in the moment. And the only way you can do that is to basically fire your left brain and let your body unravel some crap. Huh. That's really interesting. I, the, 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 um, I mean, for the sake of the listener, I'm trying to find an analogy to sort of, um, shine light on what you just said. And so better, I can understand it as well, but bit of a story here when I was a kid and I would have a gallbladder attacks, um, a good remedy for a gallbladder attack was a hot water bottle and going to sleep. And I would toss and turn until around three thirty or four in the morning, uh, really uncomfortable and a lot of pain. Um, and then I would fall asleep and I don't know if there's something that happens in the body around four o'clock in the morning, but it's almost like, Oh, well, this is extra bile production time. Here we go. We're going to clear this out and help you get through this. Um, and I can remember waking up, uh, three or four hours later. Um, and in that moment when I first woke up, I had this uh, profound sense of um, joy and almost disconnect because it felt like uh, all of the discomfort and everything that I had in my body, gallbladder attacks were painful underneath my rib on the right side, as well as in my upper back, across the shoulder blades, um, not to mention how it makes me feel about the world. It's just a really depressing kind of thing to happen, especially when you're a kid. Um, it doesn't really change much when you get older, actually. <laughs> anyways, but I, w I would wake up with a set, profound sense of joy because um, it's almost like I couldn't feel my body. And then the not being able to feel my body was because I didn't feel all of that associated pain that I had from the gallbladder attack. It's like it was gone, just instantly wiped out. And that sense of... Um, Jeez, I was going to say floating. I guess that's the right word to use. That sense of floating that I would have when I woke up sounds like what you're talking about here with the sensory deprivation thing, where it's like all of a sudden my uh, mind has just woken up, has been totally reset. There's nothing that it's thinking about yet in a day. And I have no um, uh, idea of where I am yet. But in that like, you know, half a second, second, two, three seconds when I just wake up, it's like the most blissful thing to feel that absolute kind of um, disconnect from any kind of physical pain or any kind of mental anguish that I had around the, the gallbladder tech, which was there um, hours before. And uh, I would just take that image, which is a great image, and say, and this is going to get really weird, but um, that whole room is full of memories. That whole room uh, as a child, you know, has got good days and bad days in it. And maybe it's got, um, and I don't mean this literally, but maybe it's full of all of your dreams. Maybe it's full of all your ancestors' dreams for you. And then in the context of the sensory deprivation tank, you open up like you did as a child. No pain, I'm floating, I'm free of uh, this conditioned existence. And that's kind of what we're you know, speaking about. All of a sudden, all those other thoughts and memories are present to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, I mean, I'm, that's a bit woo woo, but if I'm in a sensory deprivation tank and I'm in there with the intention to unravel myself, 
um, that's kind of a newbie thing because you've only been doing it for a few times. It's all about, oh yeah, man, I finally got that kink out of my neck and, you know, I finally learned to relax into this because it, it is a practice like anything it takes some practice. What happens for most people who are pretty committed to it, they figure out the time that works the best for them and you stay in there until basically you have a complete reset of your, what I would call your, uh, your somatic self, your conscious self, and then your metaconscious self or the part of you that's, um, more than just you, your ego and your body. So hang on a sec. You said the time. So you mean that you can actually adjust the duration that you're actually in there? Mm-hmm. What, uh, like, Five minutes, ten minutes, or uh, I, I wouldn't. I don't think you get very far in less than forty minutes. Oh, I see. Yeah, but it's usually about forty-five to ninety minutes. Other people who really get into it, they basically buy their own tank, and then they just <laughs> you know spend an hour or two hours or five hours. Uh, some people take magic mushrooms when they're in there. Other people use cannabis. Other people uh, explore with things like ketamine. Actually, I think the original guy who de- built the first sensory deprivation, deprivation tank was actually using ketamine. Wow which is a horse tranquilizer, but also a hallucinogenic drug. I would imagine that, um, I'll speak personally for myself, if I was to go into a sensory deprivation tank experience, um, I would not want to have anything else in there competing with um, who I am uh, going into that whole experience. And to have something um, push me in any particular direction that um, I may not necessarily like. Yeah, so I'm going to just jump into the right brain for a minute, and from a shamanic point of view, the question would be, really, Anthony, there's something in this universe that you're not? (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) I'm sitting on this chair, aren't I? (laughs) Right, I mean, sorry to pull out the (laughs) shamanic big guns there, but... No, but it's... uh, Okay, so how do I... How do I defend my my humanness here, <laughs> you shaman bastard? You, <laughs> um, the 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 idea of actually being um, polluted, if you will, on some kind of drugs is uh, something that uh, I wouldn't want to do uh, to uh, to interfere with that whole experience initially. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend starting with that (laughs) or probably even i wouldn't even suggest even considering going into that kind of a space chemically altered until you've probably done it the at least 10 times if not 50 Hmm. yeah yeah that just seems kind of weird like it it almost it almost seems like it would be self-defeating yeah so the guy who actually invented this whole thing, his name is John Lilly. He's a medical doctor, and uh, he's one of the original sort of psychonauts, uh, like around Terence McKenna and uh, the you know uh, you you Berkeley guys back in the late '60s who all became mind body sort of psychologists and stuff. You know Stanley Kellerman, stuff like that, and this whole crew of people. You know, they're all doctors and PhDs and stuff, and they all decided that LSD and mushrooms were the gateway to the bigger picture. And, and I mean, not not to be beating the drum of LSD, but the guys who figured out the shape of our genes were stoned on acid at the time. So maybe there may be, uh, and hence the joke of like, really, you think you're not a part of everything in the universe? Um, those kind of psychedelics just um, give us way, way more permission and, and or way, way more bandwidth, if you will, right. <laughs> to experience that bigger connection. Sure, and and I'm not uh, I'm not necessarily suggesting that those things would be bad. I just don't think that they would mix for me mm-hmm. in this particular environment. 
Yeah, I don't know if I, that's something I would ever want to do. I mean, uh, because I already have a practice with things uh, like ceremonial medicines, and in a ceremonial context, it it seems to me a little greedy to take those things and be in a sensory deprivation tank. Although, it may happen. I'm mm. just saying right now with when I think because we, I mean, because of where I've been living the last 20 years, we don't often have sensory deprivation tanks, so it's not a practice I'm actually able to practice. But now we have one again, so I'm like, yay, back in the practice. Um, and, and I, I mean, I'm going to keep at it because it's such a profound thing. I mean, I was in it for 40 minutes yesterday. First time in years I've been in one. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, if I was to start talking about what it was really like and what it really means, I'd probably be giggling and crying at the same time because it's just otherworldly, hmm. but it's a huge reset. I mean, and is huge. there, is there a sort of, um, uh, like a sensory sensory deprivation, these these sort of tanks are they kind of a prescription for any particular ailment, or is this a sort of a just good cure all? Uh, well, I would say step one would be people who have insomnia. After oh. that, people who have chronic pain. After that, people with uh, anxiety, PTSD, things like that. Uh, clearly, uh, depending on the kind of anxiety you have, you may or may not want to have someone come and check on you even if it's just to give that part of your mind permission to have a better, a more tangible container. But after, after some, I think after a couple of sessions, most people with PTSD or anxiety and things like that would be uh, very excited about the opportunity because I know as a person with PTSD, I can say sometimes it's kind of like you're running around the backyard, um, on the inside of your mind or your emotions, like a puppy that hasn't had anyone to play with for a while. You're just like spinning your wheels. And if you can go and lie and relax, you know, in an SD tank and shift your whole proprioceptive field, what you're doing with your mind settles down and the puppy feels like it's just had, you know, the, the best run with all of his best friends. And it just lies down and wags its tail and becomes kind of your friend again. But, um, it's really all about investigating your state of being and being willing to invest, investigate and invest in shifting your state of being. So the, the name of the podcast today, just in case we have been kind of migrating around, is Stimulation, Addiction, Consciousness, and Sensory Deprivation. So I just want to kind of rearrange the conversation quickly to speak to what the whole uh, stimulation addiction thing and one of the sort of weird things we've done with consciousness as modern people and that'll feed back into why sensory deprivation tanks are such a good idea. Okay. So stimulation addiction um, is something that is ubiquitous or basically in everybody's life now. I mean, well, if you're listening to a podcast, you have access to a computer, so haha, tag you're it. <laughs> and especially if you're listening to it on your smartphone. Yeah, <laughs> while driving and <laughs> juggling chainsaws. Um, so as children, you know, we're given something as highly addictive as sugar, uh, around, uh, things like Teletubbies or whatever, where they've actually figured out the exact pitch of sounds, the actual, actual frequency of, uh, bursts of color and stuff like that, that actually make the human brain basically just want to sit there and consume calories while the, the brain is driven into this high serotonin insulin thing because of overeating. Mm-hmm. So we're not to be all, you know, dark and gloomy, but, you know, we've turned our kids into basically heroin addicts for information, stimulation, and a, a certain ratio of calories. And when you set that up, uh, 
and now you say you're a 10, 12, 14 year old kid and your parents say, yeah, you want to try some coffee? And that's pretty cool. It's like the, I don't know, poor man's version of Ritalin, you know. So now you're having another way to narrow and, and adjust and f uh, kind of control consciousness, which is what addiction really means. Um, and again, now we have the internet. Uh, now we have our smartphones. I mean, I feel like an addict because I like to listen to audiobooks. Sometimes it's fun, you know, goofy stuff. Sometimes I'm listening to a textbook. But um, if I'm in the garden or if I'm driving for any distance and stuff like that, if I don't have something playing in my ears now, it feels like a lack. Hmm. Right? So you you prefer to have noise, background noise. Well, I mean, it's I mean, not, not to try and make an excuse, but almost everyone with PTSD is constantly looking for an external reference so that they actually have one. Because if you don't have one, then it's a dangerous, likely one. Hmm. I mean, you go to any reservation uh, in Canada, everybody who's got a TV or a radio is going to have them on because it's the most traumatic environment, you know, at least I've ever been in. Um, so why wouldn't you want to have at least some control over the chaos by just turning on some chaos, right? So, you know, now we have social media where our um, confirmation bias is constantly being, you know, turned up or down based on what's streaming on Instagram or if it's Reddit or Facebook or all these things now. I mean, the fact that we have multiple ways to be completely hooked into our particular confirmation bias about the world, uh, I mean, that's stimulation addiction. And now it's completely, you know, it's, we're way past even any semblance of healthy or safe. Right. And this speaks to something that um, I may have spoken to before, and I'll just repeat quickly. In our present culture, our sense of individuality, autonomy, and freedom for the first 25 years of our life is determined by what you can now say yes to. You know, I'm 10 and now I can have sleepovers, and then I'm 12 and maybe, um, uh, I don't know, whatever you're allowed to do at 12 and then you're, you know, you get, uh, if your parents know you use cannabis when you're 14 and then you're, you know, conditionally allowed to find alcohol through your uncle when you're 16 and then you get your driver's license and then you can buy guns and then maybe you're going to do whatever you're going to do. But our sense of self is determined by basically what we can say yes to outside of ourselves. And that's normal. I'm not saying that's pathological or, you know, I'm not spanking anybody for that. And at the same time, I mean, doing the work I do as a clinician, most people with chronic illness in their midlife, their sense of freedom is determined by what they have to say no to. Uh, so I'll say that another way, instead of what you have to say no to, it's what you actually eventually choose to say no to. I know in my life, because of my health and stuff, if uh, I feel so much better if I can say no to things like bread and alcohol and um, excess caffeine or, or something like that. And it feels just as good as it, you know, when I was 16 and I could say yes to doing something. It's like, ha ha, no, I don't have to do that to myself anymore. And now I can feel great. So I bring up that as, as sort of just a paradigm because uh, in the sense of uh, stimulation addiction, obviously we've said way, yes to way too many things. And the only way we're going to get our freedom back and our sense of ourselves is to say no to some of that stuff. And the biggest no I could imagine to stimulation addiction is a sensory deprivation tank. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just for 45 minutes of like, no! <laughs> mm. Right? So um, there's another quality to stimulation addiction um, that's sort of, I think, maybe accidentally uh, made this whole situation much, much, much worse. And I'm, I'm just hoping it's an accident because it would actually make me feel physically ill to think someone's planned this out this well. 
or this badly, I guess. So there's this other thing uh, with respect to, I don't know, the meditation experience and stuff that we call uh, audience consciousness. So there's consciousness that's very connected, uh, interactive, communal, sensual kind of thing. And then there's a the kind of consciousness that uh, I think it's pretty new in the world where you just sit and watch, sit and wait, sit and see what happens. Right? So we go to school now. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You sit and watch, sit and take notes, sit and regurgitate what you took notes on. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that, that's a pretty big frame of reference for your opportunities as a conscious sentient primate is your inculcation into the world is sit and watch, sit and eat sugar and watch, you know, weird noisy cartoons, sit in a room and listen to somebody explain whatever they're going to do for six hours a day. Um, then there's university, then there's entertainment, you know, you know, at least if you go to a live athletic event, you can get to do a wave with 60,000 people or something, but that's about as interactive it's actually going to be. The rest of it is sit and watch, drink your beer, eat your hot dogs and, you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm imagining what happens to your gut with hot dogs, <laughs> you know, but again, you know, so much of modern, uh, cultural experience is in a mode of sit and watch. If you're going to take Western medicine, here's a pharmaceutical, take the pill, sit and shut up and wait and see what it does to you. Hmm. Right. I mean, at least, I mean, I think if when I prescribe people some kind of medication, at least I'm going to say, could you just blow on your pills before you take them? So at least there's some quality of interaction and connection, or at least there's some intention with your, you know, trying to resolve your, your health issue. Right. You know, so sometimes we have to get out of the audience and the only way you're going to do that is to become the opposite of passive. And again, with a sensory deprivation tank, once you've gotten through the, I can't believe I've let go of so much tension and so much neurotic conversations. And again, this might take 10, you know, floats to get to, but now you're lying there passively, uh, being held in this weirdly magical space where you can start to actively relax into or actively bring up, you know, dad, <laughs> mm. mom, <laughs> mm. uh, sex, not in the sense of some masturbatory, you know, scene in a sensory deprivation tank. Um, but because maybe there's something around sexuality that's as a kinesthetic experience, uh, you know, because sometimes you have what's called myclonic shaking, you know, you have these little twitches and stuff that, that happen as you relax. And uh, again, after a few floats, you're going to probably just go in there with, you know, your particular list of issues. Okay, I'm going to go in and, and just allow this subject to come up. And then your body's going to revamp its, its memory of itself around all those things. So, you know, fundamentally, you're basically, um, it's like scraping the windshield of your car. Right. I mean, now your perception of you by reaching very, very thoroughly into you is going to be kind of self-corrected because you're going to feel amazing about the fact you chose to feel amazing. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to just do one last little thing with this um, because this is all about state of being. And I've been having this conversation with a lot of people lately, and I think we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but it's so juicy right now, I'm just going to repeat it. So let's say you and I were to sit here and spend 15 minutes focusing very, very, very uh, accurately and, and um, determinedly, and maybe we've got a pen and paper and we're going to focus on our problems. Okay. 
right? And our state is going to shift towards anxiety and fear and, you know, contraction, uh, a sense of distance and a sense of, you know, con consequences. And that's your state. Okay. That would be my state. And then maybe you and I are going to go run around the block, come back in the room, sit down, and we're going to focus on our opportunities. And our state shifts towards curiosity, passion, enthusiasm, creativity, imagination. And that's your state. Now, the funny thing about a sensory deprivation tank is when you're in there and you've got no way to hang on to the universe, it's hard to have any kind of left-brain conversation about opportunities and problems. But the thing you can do is go very deeply into a focus on your state. And honestly, focusing on your state with or without sensory deprivation tanks is the big hack. It almost sounds like meditation in some sort of way. Yeah. Meditation, posture, physical awareness, physical fitness, how you breathe, why acupuncture works, why people get so much of craniosacral therapy or massage, uh, why sex is more than just a breeding responsibility chore. You know, obviously with sensory deprivation tanks, you're going as you know thoroughly into that opportunity as you can because you're a body too. Hmm. The, the, the whole... Um approach to going into something like this then is not um, just willy-nilly. It's not just something where, um, you know, I picked up a, a book at the used bookstore that says the South Beach diet is the best diet ever. I'm just going to try this for a week and see what happens. This is actually, um, uh, I guess, like a serious approach to um, wanting to take care of oneself, I would think. Well, the thing that, I mean, I can't believe I haven't said this yet because this is like my go-to response to what do you mean about what is the point of sensory deprivation uh, drum roll please the point of sensory deprivation tanks for me and for many people is very much the point of the trust game kids play in schoolyards the trust game you spread your arms out and you fall backwards and hopefully billy catches you instead of watches you fall on your head right so you're in a sensory deprivation tank you're basically spread eagle floating in the universe and you're falling back into the arms of who or what or I'm sorry, English is not the best language for this kind of a conversation, but, yeah. but there you are. I mean, and if it's, if you're just falling back into the arms of who you are in your integrity, your autonomy, your completeness, your most, um, potent sense of yourself, most patient sense of yourself. I mean, that's a pretty good win. Mm -hmm. If you fall back into the arms of some reference of what, you know, the universe is really about, now you've had that experience and it's an experience, not an opinion. You know, again, that's where a lot of people after probably 10 to 50 floats uh, do make the discernment to maybe microdose with psilocybin or something like that, because then there's no boundary between you and whatever it is that's behind the curtain. Hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, there's a hell of a lot more going on behind the curtain than is going on around here. And that's from direct experience. Would you say doing sensory dep deprivation is something uh, as a means to an end or something that should be done ongoing? I really think it should be an ongoing relationship. Although I th I've, I've known lots of people who are like, uh, it's like surfers, you know, I'm, I'm going to surf every day for the rest of my life. And then two years later, go, yeah, I kind of hit a plateau. Hmm. So I think with uh, SD tanks, people hit plateaus too. 
but uh, I don't think the relationship has to be, you know, I have to go to church every Sunday. I have to go to the SD tank every Saturday. It's more like, oh, I have this resource in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was like 20 years. I couldn't get to one unless I went to a big city. Now you just got to cross the street. Now I got to walk across the street. <laughs> you know, well, but but it's it's just such a great resource and an ally. And it's less, usually it's less than a, like a uh, like a massage in terms of the fee. Is there anything um, that you would say to somebody um, as a reason why they wouldn't want to do something like this? Why a person wouldn't want to? I mean, is there any sort of uh, medical reason or, um, I mean, you're just... Well, I mean, there's, you have, if you're going to go in there with any kind of open wound, you have to cover the wound with Vaseline because the corrosiveness of all the Epsom salts would be very uncomfortable. I mean, if you get the water in your eyes, it burns. I mean, you're not going to be screaming, but you're not going, oh, wow, that feels awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that, again, the people who are the most likely to have problems are the people with the most uh, difficult times on the inside of their mind. You know, if a person's uh, schizophrenic or something like that. But if a person, even with what we call a mental illness, was to go in there and just have a friend knock on the door every 10 minutes and just say, hey, man, just checking. And, you know, I mean, I would actually... I would predict that after doing that, the person would say, the next time I do this, could you just knock, you know, every 20 minutes? And then eventually they might just say, can you just stay around in in case I start screaming, but stop talking because it's pissing me off. Right. So I think it's just, um, kind of, some people would need more of a lifeline, you know, other, other people I would say, um, and I know people who do this, I mean, they go and they get rip roaring on whatever substances they like, and then they'll go and spend the entire night floating. Wow. And come back with incredible, you know, vistas of, uh, I don't know, shamanic exploration and stuff. And you can't take that stuff literally. It's, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you're having some st- fun in your head. But again, what I always bring back to the, the hallucination experience is don't take the images literally. Find the meaning in there that confirms how important it is for you to make that transition, whatever it is. And is, is there any kind of, um, um, support person or, um, like any other kind of therapy is always, um, not any, how am I trying to say this? Other forms of therapy have a practitioner that you, that is actually some sort of a guide or somebody you can actually say, Hey, doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Right. Um, but in this case, it's almost like, uh, you're in there on your own and there's nobody there really to sort of check in with afterward or is there? I think that would be a determination that you would make for yourself. Like, um, yeah, I can think that, uh, maybe 15 years ago things were tough. And if I would have had access to a, a float, I think I definitely would have wanted to have a therapist around cause there was a lot going on and I was seeing a therapist at the time, um, which I would recommend anybody just you know, it's worth it. Sit down and just start talking. <laughs> sure. So, so, uh, but I guess that's what I'm, what I'm wondering is the, the experience of actually being, uh, there with yourself, beside yourself, inside yourself, outside yourself, like the whole sensory deprivation experience. Is that something that needs, uh, I don't know, a debrief afterward? And this is the fun thing is if you're still needing to stay left brain enough that you feel more confidence with a process and maybe a mentor or a, a clinician or counselor or something to kind of walk you through what you're going through. That's a really good idea. 
if you've decided your left brain is a freaking calculator that has some narcissistic problems, you're going to just say, whatever, dude, I'm going to hang out with the right brain because I trust him more. Hmm. So if you're needing to trust your left brain more, yeah, get a mentor or uh, somebody who's, uh, you know, farther ahead on the psychonaut kind of trajectory and, you know, trust that they're not going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you're ready to abandon the narrowness of literal existence and, and all of that, then you're just going to go for it because you're done with the explanation model of existence. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm still, I mean, I'm sitting in this hard chair beside you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, there's no sensory deprivation going on here. My skinny arse is actually feeling <laughs> what I'm sitting on. Um, I, guess, I guess I'm just still trying to really understand how... Um, uh, this whole thing uh, looks in a way so that uh, people can sort of appreciate what kind of experience to, to go into because uh, you know it's not like you see a sensory deprivation tank on every corner of every city no, just just the cool towns have them yeah sure <laughs> um, well what will be interesting is between now and the next time we record a podcast is for you to take a dip yeah yeah I'm um, uh, I'm talking to the jury right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that in your eyes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. So Michael says this is okay, but I still don't trust this crap. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's something, something to be said there. And the, uh, uh, the way that we've talked about this, um, has been guided in some way, I think, by my sort of, um, uh, you know, logical brain trying to understand exactly what it is we're talking about. It's like, dude, can you like explain air to me or like God? <laughs> like, you know, like I'm trying to, trying to really grasp onto this, um, obscure idea. Uh, and that's the perfect way to go about this. Cause that's what we're trying to realize is futile. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's health, lifestyle and mindset, right? Yep. We're trying to unravel all the, all the different aspects. At least I am anyways. Well, I mean, I don't, I think I did this, yeah, I think I did this probably in the last show, but, or the one before that, but one of my favorite words to pry apart is apprehension. Mm -hmm. So apprehension comes from apprehensile, which means if you're a monkey and you've got your tail and your loose paw over a branch, you can hang out there until the cows come home. But if you grip really tight and start to lose your grip on the tree, that's what apprehensile means, is you can no longer just chill and hang off of the world. So now you're clutching the world, which means you're going to burn out and get exhausted, and you're going to fall to the jungle floor where the big cats like to eat us, right? So that's what I would say. That That's the struggle with the left brain, is that when it latches on to the what-ifs and the consequences, you're experiencing apprehension, and there's only one way down. <laughs> unless gravity's different in your part of the world well that's where you go to sensory deprivation tank and now it's, there's no gravity so you can finally let go yeah right yeah and you're not going to go anywhere i mean and this is the thing like maybe i'll put this out there you're trying to lose control but you're in control of how you're losing control right and eventually you're going to realize that the only way you can control losing control is to lose control more and that's I mean, I, this is one of those fractal conversations where you start to realize, oh yeah, the trust game, you have to fall back. You can't, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, you can't grab a screwdriver and tweak this kind of a thing. You're, you're either, if I was to use a sexual analogy, you're either going to make out with God or you're not. Okay. So you're, you're allowed, <laughs> you're allowed to sit there with, you know, your underwear on or whatever and, and, and 
negotiate for years, but at some point you're going to just trust that however it works, it works. I mean, I don't, I don't usually talk about religion in a literal sense of, you know, that stuff, unless it's some tongue in cheek thing, because I think that's the problem is that we think having an answer to what's really going on is more comforting than just trusting what's really going on. If you need an answer, you don't trust what's going on. And that that's where uh, literal religions with books just are, they're just terrifying. It's just like, you just ruined it for everybody. Hmm. That's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, but I don't have anything that's religion at all. I'm just saying that for those of us who don't have a prepackaged version of this, which would be a bummer because it'd be more fun to make up your own, but, um, a sensory deprivation tank is one of the best ways for you to begin experiencing at least the importance of meaning, you know, the p deep, profound, you know, more than your life day to day kind of sense of what's essentially important. And again, when people start to let go of stuff that they didn't even know they're carrying around and then get these hugely beautiful, generous uh, images that show you uh, the importance of being you know, deeply, potently yourself, um, that's what the hallucinations do is they just, like, it's a little confirmation cartoon. Way to go, buddy. You, you finally, you know, just, you know, did the trust game even deeper than the last time. Hmm. It's onions, man, layer by layer. We're, we're like the onion tribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's welcome to the onion this week, <laughs> sensory deprivation. Uh, wow. Um, is there anything more that uh, that needed to be said about uh, what we've talked about? Uh, no, I just wanted to bring up stimulation addiction to ask people to consider how much of a thing that is in them. Because if it's a thing in you, it's winning until you can... Uh, say no more often than you can say yes. Uh, I wanted to bring up audience consciousness because um, the only way to resolve conditioned mindset is to remove the conditioning or to at least investigate other kinds of mindset. And if your whole life has been a sit and watch festival, well, festivals are all word, sit and watch prison, uh, you might want to get up and dance a little bit and you know participate with respect to your meditation and your outer practices because it's consciousness you know it's not mm -hmm. it's, it's 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 moving it's it's a, uh you know it's important and when you're thinking about the uh, uh that whole thing i brought about state you know you can focus on problems you can focus on opportunities but when you focus on state you now have basically carte blanche you can come into being in any way you choose to and again dancing be playful uh, and that's only going to happen when you've let go of the state that you're the most comfortable with, which is probably usually quite painful. Hmm. So get in, float, let go, you know, or actually because this has got such a specific um, kind of direction to it. Uh, please, if you're a person who has experience uh, with float tanks, any comment you have, you know, you know, this, this is my new religion. I hated it. I drove me crazy, uh, whatever. Uh, but if you're a person who's new to it and then you've heard this podcast and you decide to go out and give it a try, please come back and write a comment about what happened. Cause I really, 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 you know, recommend this for people, but I'm also just really, really curious what it's like for people. Cause yeah, me too. Wow. I would be, uh, thrilled to get some sort of feedback on Facebook as to what this is all about. I mean, certainly, certainly sitting here, for the hour talking to you about that, my mind has painted all kinds of pictures as to what this is. And, you know, my fingernails aren't clutched into the, <laughs> the edges of the wall as closely, as deeply as they were at the beginning of the hour. So, 
uh, I'd love to hear what other people have to say. And if you want to have a, um, what would I call this? Be like a weird, weird, weird brochure version <coughs> of getting um, a sense of what these tanks are like. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm the only person who kind of like streams movies off the internet that aren't supposed to be but anyway uh <laughs> there's this film called altered states uh I think done back in about 1980 uh william hurts the star and he's basically a research scientist who starts playing with uh plant medicines from south america while in an, in an sd tank and he goes through a really profound transformation hmm. and you know they literalize it a bit in in the movie for fun uh, which just makes the movie more fun. But if you're looking for like a, uh, maybe that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> for some people, if you watch that movie, you probably never get into a tank. But for other people, I think it would just give you that sense of, you know, it's almost like a dare, you know, like really? Oh, come on. It can't be that powerful. Hmm. Hmm. But uh, yeah, just, just check it out. It's, you know, goofy, fun 1980s movie. But Altered States? Altered States. And then again, I'm Altered. not recommending anyone go into an SD tank uh, under the influence of a psychedelic drug unless you're really, really experienced with those kind of medicines. And you've done at least 10 floats just on, on the natch, as they say, to make sure you're sure that's a safe place for the part of you that thinks safety matters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's uh, a lot to chew on today, Michael. I think I'm going to need to go float in a tank to, <laughs> to let all this sink in. Ah, there you I don't know if it'll be happening today, but uh, uh, definitely a lot of food for thought. Uh, you've been listening to the Fusion Health Podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Sano. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, this has been episode 30, Stimulation Addiction, Consciousness, and Sensory Deprivation. Um, if you like what you heard today, uh, please do let us know. Uh, we are on Facebook. Look for Fusion Fusion Health Radio there. And uh, give us your uh, comments, concerns, complaints, ideas, kudos, all that sort of stuff. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've got any kind of questions directly related to the medical end of things, uh, those go to Michael. <laughs> I'm the one who lets them know that they actually show up. Um, and, uh, if you know somebody who might be interested in what we've, uh, heard, sorry, what we spoke about today, what you've heard today, uh, please share this with a friend. That's the best way that we uh, know to get this word out there. Um, and I think that's pretty much, pretty much it, Michael. Uh, well, if you have a moment, uh, to leave a comment, please do a little rate and review either on iTunes or podcast or not iTunes and podcast, iTunes and Podbean <laughs> right? or Stitcher or other places that the Fusion Health Radio is up on. Um, just so that, uh, one, we know that people appreciate what's going on and, or, uh, it helps other people find the show. Everything's all a popularity contest and that's how it works. So yeah. <laughs> back to high school. <laughs> Luckily we have sensory deprivation tanks to reduce that kind of trauma. <laughs> that's a good place to finish it. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Anthony. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio. 